for the love of goats. We are talking about everything goat. Whether you're a goat owner, a breeder, or just a fan of these wonderful creatures, we've got you covered. And now, here's Deborah Neiman. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. I am really excited today that I am joined by Eva Moss from Farm Commons. Eva is the farmer and partner development manager at Farm Commons. And um, I love what she said to me earlier, and that is that she is a farmer who went to law school. Because <laughs> um, I think that is, is wonderful. I think that's what we really need to, that's the kind of person we need to talk to because she gets it. She gets both sides of it. At Farm Commons, she guides farmers towards legal resilience through workshops and peer-led environments, and she also facilitates partnership development with other organizations to bring Farm Commons programming to communities nationwide. She's got a master's degree in food and agriculture law and policy from the Vermont Law School and a bachelor's in anthropology. And a little bit more about Farm Commons. I first got to know Farm Commons at a workshop six years ago where one of their attorneys was speaking about uh, liability because I was looking at the possibility of starting a cheesemaking operation back then. Farm Commons is a national nonprofit that specializes in legal education for farmers. And their mission is to empower agricultural communities to resolve their own legal vulnerabilities within an ecosystem of support. So they provide a lot of, of education on their website, as well as through in-person events and also, you know, online. So let's go ahead and get started. One of the first things I think that people need to think about, um, if you haven't gotten goat yet, we're going to talk about everything. We're goat law. We're talking goat law today. <laughs> so we are going to start out at the very beginning, if you don't even have goats yet. Now, maybe you think like, oh, well, I live out in the country. It's totally legal for me. Um, if you are anywhere close to a municipality, one of the things you need to consider is zoning. Um, so, oh, I should also say, welcome, Eva. I just realized I didn't let you enter and say hi. <laughs> You're good, Deborah. I'm just so excited about your enthusiasm for goat law. Um, it's good to be here with you. Thank you. So let's go ahead and get started then with those people who are just thinking about getting goats. Um, what do you have to say about zoning and um, checking out the zoning laws in your area? Yeah, zoning is an excellent place to start when you are setting out on your goat goating adventures um, because you're going to want to ask yourself the question, is it legal to even have goats? And like you said, Deborah, especially in municipal areas where you're in a city or, or peri-urban area that's adjacent to a city, um, zoning can be more stringent towards farming endeavors. So maybe like you're in a more rural area and you're in an, you know, you're in an agricultural zone because there's signs everywhere saying like voluntary agricultural district and there's lots of farmers around and you can pretty well bet when you look into the zoning code that you'll, it'll say something agricultural, agricultural residents and usually livestock and farming and all that is allowed. Yeah, in urban areas, it gets a bit grainier as to whether or not it's legal to have goats. And so what you'll want to do is look into your zoning code for your 
municipality, for your city, and see what it has to say regarding livestock, especially small livestock. And if you could get a definition for that, even better. Um, maybe it explicitly names chickens and goats. And if so, that's great because you'll have clear guidance. Um, and if you are lucky enough to be in a municipal area or a city that has those you know, livestock specifically named, um, you're going to want to look to see if livestock uses for with goats especially are either allowed, disallowed, or not mentioned. And so those three different um, uh, classifications are very useful to know. So if, if goats are allowed, oh my gosh, like what a clear answer, please go forth with your, your goat, your goat things, um, <laughs> and your goat plans. If it is specifically disallowed, then you might think, hmm, if, um, if goats are really something I want to do, I might not be in the right area. Maybe think about moving or seeking out land in an area that is zoned to have livestock. Um, or you'll know, oh, shoot, I already have goats that you're taking a risk. And so you'll know to be a bit more careful or start thinking about transition plans. Um, if goats are not mentioned at all or livestock's not mentioned at all, that is also a useful tool in that there's not been a zoning code specifically written either for or against having livestock in the area or, or specifically goats. And so you do have some bargaining power there to go to your, your city zoning board um, and, and petition to have goats be allowed and give reasons why they'd be good for the community, especially the, the area that you're in. And then sometimes you'll hear about a community that has some restrictions on them. Like I interviewed somebody a couple of weeks ago who has dairy goats in Vancouver, Washington, and I think she's only allowed to have um, a maximum of three adult goats in her backyard. Yeah, that's that's a very popular model that that zoning codes will take is to set a cap limit of like what is doable for the area. So, all right, we're going to allow folks to have goats in a more city or urban area, but we're going to cap it at three or five and maybe specifically say, you know, what sex those goats need to be so that there's not a chance of breeding so that the, the person raising the goats goes over that cap limit. The next thing that I wanted to talk about is, now let's go ahead and get into some of the topics that people might think are a little bit scarier. <laughs> but I'm going to transition to that using something that everybody thinks is just the coolest thing in the world, and that is goat yoga. <laughs> I could not tell you at this point how many people have said to me, are you doing goat yoga? You should be doing goat yoga. Like, goat yoga is like the thing. And I am not going to do goat yoga because there are so many things that can go wrong with goat yoga, you know, just from like tripping over a goat to having a goat knock you down to having you, you know, put your hand in goat poop and getting listeriosis and just all kinds of stuff. Um, so what exactly do people need to think about when it comes to liability issues related to goats that they own? Yeah, great question. And at Farm Commons, you know, we we always bring up goat yoga during our, our workshops with farmers for because um, everybody's doing it on social media. It sounds like this really cool thing that as you just laid out, there are so many things that can go wrong at goat yoga. Um, and in terms of liability, you want to be thinking about what happens if my goat bites someone and the bite's really bad. 
What happens if my goats kick someone and the kick is really bad? What if they kick a small child? Um, what happens if, if there's cross-contamination with my goats and fecal matter or proteins and food and somebody gets sick or has a really bad allergic reaction? What happens then? And the answer to that question is, it depends. You, you never know. We can't fully anticipate how someone's going to react or how bad an injury is going to be. Um, but the, the first line of your defense is insurance, and it really helps to boost confidence as well. Um, and you might be thinking, you know, as I bring up insurance and managing liability and the risks of all these, these injuries happening with your goats is, well, what if I have a liability waiver in place? When folks come out to goat yoga, I make them sign this piece of paper where they waive all, all chances of them suing me and, you know, the liabilities on, on them. Well, please consider that waiver ineffective in court. You know, once someone does get injured and, and they go and get um, sutured up at the hospital and their health insurance company covers it and comes calling, wanting to get recouped for paying out on, on those injuries, um, a waiver will be ineffective in court unless an attorney drafted it for you. However, I don't want all of you out there going, being like, oh gosh, going to get rid of the waiver now. Um, they are very helpful for communicating a culture of safety. You know, if there's certain um, ways people need to behave around the go or like don't touch, um, you know, I don't know, maybe there's some bucklings around who are super aggressive and you want them in a certain area and, you know, please don't go in this area or please wash your hands after you're around the goats before you eat anything. Um, those are helpful things to communicate. And so so if folks know there's danger on the farm and they have to read it in writing and then sign something, the chances are that they're going to act in a way that's safer and reduces risk in that way. Um, another thing you might be thinking about, um, not if you're in Illinois where Deborah is, um, but in other states like Alabama, Maine, Oregon, um, Idaho, here in North Carolina where I am, there's um, this, this piece of law called an agritourism liability statute, and it essentially is a sign that you can put up that has the, the state law written down where um, folks who go to an agritourism farm are are totally liable for whatever happens to them. The, the, the responsibility is not on the farmer or the farm. And a lot of farmers assume if they have that sign up, that agritourism liability sign, um, that they're good. They're not responsible if something happens. And I want you all to know that that agritourism statute is very helpful for for mitigating the risks of people acting all kinds of crazy when they see their super cute baby goats. You know, it, it um, communicates a culture of safety and it does cover a narrow scope of injuries that would happen over the course of general agritourism. So think taking a tour, walking around, visiting the goats, petting them, saying hi, maybe you get a little nibble, um, but it won't cover things like negligence. Like if if the, the farmer is totally negligent with guests to the property around the goats and something very bad happens that shouldn't have been on the course of the tour or during the yoga session or or something else um you know maybe someone is hanging out after a goat yoga session and you know as guests are leaving a couple of people stay behind and they say hey we want to help out with chores and and they start wandering around and you say yeah sure help out with chores feel free to check out the farm and and they get into a situation where they meet 
you know, some very angry goats and that don't want to be bothered during feeding time and they get really badly hurt, that's not in the general course of a tour or the day's plans. And so that would be negligent to let those guests hang out and, and do the stuffs with the goats. And so that, that agritourism statute would not cover injuries like that. And so because of this, that is why insurance is your best line of defense when thinking about managing liability for any goat-related activities that you're hosting either on your farm or off your farm. And so for, for types of coverage, you can consider farm liability coverage, um, incidental business coverage, especially for um, business that's farm-related but isn't like, you know, the sale of your meat goat meat products or goat dairy products and cheese, you know, cheese and that kind of stuff. Um, but like uh, a tour day on the farm where you have, um, I don't know, pictures, picture taking with the goats, that's incidental to you raising the goats that you get to take pictures with them. Um, if it's more of like a tour and celebration of all things goats, where it's an event, you might want to think about asking your insurance agent about event endorsement. Um, and if you have, you know, you know, herds of goats set up where you're able to lease them out to other folks for, for maybe mowing or um, breeding stock or other, other leasing out on different properties of your goats, you, you might want to think about commercial coverage since it's off of your property. Um, so those are some, some common insurance options. And I do want to hone in just this last bit about insurance. Um, there's a dual value, value that insurance plays and in that um, if you get the right insurance coverage for your needs and that requires a good working relationship with your agent, um, insurance will provide an expert attorney to go to bat for you when something bad does happen, when an injury occurs. Um, and so they'll go to court and argue, give their best argument to limit your responsibility in, in the injury and um, therefore limiting the amount of damages you would have to pay. And then insurance is also there to pay up to the coverage amount of your policy. So um, insurance really is like the best, best risk management strategy, especially when dealing with animals and visitors to your farm and really just animals and people getting together. <laughs> right. Yeah. And um, people may be thinking that goats are, you know, oh, just my goats are very low risk or whatever, but any animal on your farm could cause you a problem or not even an animal. Um, I know one farm that has been sued twice. One, they have, it's a on-farm cheese making operation with a little farm store one time was because a woman slipped and fell on the stairs going in. Um, they got sued by her insurance company. And the other time was because like a lot of farms, they have cats and um, some three or four year old child picked up one of the cats as children that age too, not very gently. And the cat scratched the child and their insurance company paid out $100,000 for a cat scratch. And which just, when they told me that, I was like, did the child's arm have to be amputated or something? No, there was like, it was just a cat scratch. I'm like, it scratched out the child's eye? No. I'm like... I was trying to figure out how could it be $100,000? So... It just goes beyond the kind of things that you might think, you know, just discussing this, you know, like with your spouse or your family or something. 
Absolutely. And and that's a large part of what risk management is, anticipating the worst case scenario, which is not the funnest thing to do. And especially if you're a homesteader or a farmer, like you you likely have a healthy dose of idealism in you. Otherwise you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. And it's beautiful. It's what keeps so many farmers and homesteaders and gardeners and growers growing, you know, that, that hope and idealism, idealism that things will work out. But in order to sustain the, the really awesome and important and good thing that you're doing, we do need to plan for the worst case scenario. And so oftentimes at Farm Commons, we, we encourage farmers um, to envision like, all right, you know, you see your farm as you see your farm, as the operator, you know it intimately, but try to see it as, you know, maybe a little, a little brother, like a little sister who might pick up a cat real rough or like um, someone's young child or someone older who, who may not um, be from the, the country or be familiar with the types of grounds, you know, try to envision someone who is totally not intimately aware of what the goings on on your farm right. and, and try to see what the risks are like, Ooh, should I keep the cat, you know, inside or make sure the, the floors are real dry as extra dry, even though I think, you know, I don't mind a little bit of wetness on the floor. Um, or even, you know, like scouting out for potholes around the farm. Like, are there any, any holes or divots around the fence where the goats are, or even in, in their pasture where if I take people into their, their paddock and someone trips in a hole and then falls into a goat, Oh gosh, you know? Um, so it's, it's yeah. really helpful to to envision the worst case scenario as like not fun or hopeful as that might seem. It'll it'll help you grow forward with confidence. Speaking of thinking of worst case scenarios, um, <laughs> insurance company insurance policies have limits. You know, like I know I see a thousand or a million as the limit a lot of times on these policies. Um, so what do you think is the importance, how important is it do you think that people consider, if they're planning, you know, to have a business around their goats and members of the public are coming to the farm, how important is it do you think that they consider incorporating or forming an LLC or something like that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so regarding insurance limits, um, at Farm Commons, and I do want to like back up way to the beginning, <laughs> none of what I'm saying is legal advice. We are a, a national nonprofit organization specializing in legal education. So this is purely educational information. Um, and so that's that's all the work that we do. We do this through workshops with farmers and also with agricultural ser service providers. So extension, insurance agents, lenders, um, folks who work at um, agricultural nonprofits, um, we educate on all of these matters, insurance, business structures, employment, zoning, all that. And a lot of times in our trainings, farmers will ask, you know, I hear that an umbrella seat, an, <laughs> an umbrella seat, an umbrella policy uh, would be a good thing for me to have if I'm expanding into agritourism or value-added um, good production, because those are riskier activities. And um, so we, we break down what what an umbrella policy is in insurance and an umbrella policy doesn't mean that you're covered for more things, but rather that your coverage limit has, has um, broadened. So it's, it's higher and it, it covers more um, in terms of amount, but not, not in terms of stuff. And so folks can increase their insurance um, limits for their coverage to, you know, like, you know, um, this, poor child who got 
sounds like terribly badly scratched by a cat where the cost was very high, unfortunately for the farmer. Um, and so anticipating high injury costs like that and upping insurance amounts, but that is very different than managing, um, liability with a business structure. And so a business structure is in no way a substitute for insurance. Um, really the, the sweet spot is having the right insurance coverage for the activities on your farm and anticipating, um, you know, to what extent will, will there be risk? You know, am I, am I doing, um, goat events or serving goat products to, to just a hundred people this year, or is it a thousand, you know, if, you know, a hundred, people will require different kinds of coverage, insurance coverage for injuries than a thousand people. Just as if you're starting out, maybe you're only really dealing with 10 people. Um, those are different insurance coverage limit needs for each of those numbers. Um, but with a business structure, you know, that doesn't waver so much with the numbers of people you're serving or reaching, but more so in terms of really how you want to structure your business, what your tolerance for fees are, and your tolerance for paperwork. And so um, I'll, I'll just do a, a quick review here over common types of business structures, the most common that we see with farmers nationwide, and they are sole proprietorships, partnerships, limited liability companies, and S-corporations. And so sole proprietorships and partnerships are formed as soon as you go into business. So if you're doing business with yourself, you're running a goat farm by yourself, you're a sole proprietorship. If you are operating the goat farm with a buddy, um, maybe it's your sibling or your spouse or a friend or a business partner, you are in partnership. You have formed a partnership. And those two business entities are created without taking any action with your state. Um, they're the, just the default business structure that, that, that you got because you're doing, you're doing your thing with your business, with your farm business. Um, now, some farmers are compelled by the, the, the I, I struggle sometimes to phrase this, but the opportunity for personal asset protection from business liabilities that more formal business structures provide. And so sole proprietorships and partnerships do not provide any form of personal asset protection. You are your business, therefore any injuries or liabilities that your business um, creates or, or, or facilitates happening, um, you will be held personally responsible for except for insurance, which will cover you if you have the right insurance. So operating as a sole proprietorship or a partnership with the right insurance is an excellent way to go about business. Many farmers do it. But for the farmers who are interested in the personal asset protection, so another shield of protection in addition to insurance, good insurance, we'll also consider forming a limited liability company or a corporation. And those two entities are formed with the state you're in. So Deborah, it would be in, in Illinois, you'd form an LLC with a secretary of state in Illinois or a corporation with the same. And each of those structures will have a different fee for filing and different annual um, fee and filing or paperwork requirements. And so um, at Farm Commons, we have a really helpful guide called the Farmer's Guide to Business Structures. And it goes through each of the different business structures that I just shared and more. Um, nonprofits, cooperatives are also in there. 
and the different um, aspects of each one, what to think about when forming them, the different paperwork requirements, um, and also a handy flowchart in there to help you decide, hmm, which, which business structure should I choose if you're thinking about um, forming a, a one with your state or considering, well, maybe I should just keep doing my sole proprietorship thing. Um, and with the limited liability company and the corporation, the S corporation, one of the best things you can do as you brainstorm, you know, which one to pursue if you're in that space is to talk to your accountant and see if they have more experience with managing a limited liability company or an S corporation. And if they charge more for one over the other, um, those, those are great things to consider when choosing. Before we move on to um, the next topic, one more thing I wanted to cover about injuries uh, is a question that came from one of the people in my GOATS 365 membership program because um, I asked them, I told them that I was going to be talking to you today and ask if they had any questions for you. And um, one person was was wondering if she should have her goats vaccinated for rabies if they're going to be around people that come to her farm. Because she was worried, like, in case one of her goats got rabies, she was worried about liability in case that goat bit someone. Um, and I told you a little bit about this before we started recording. Um, because what makes this interesting is that there's not actually a rabies vaccine that is labeled for goats. And so um, if people do that, they have to use a vaccine that is off-label um, because it has to be another species that their vet decides would would work for a goat, hopefully. <laughs> um, I mean, there's no research that says that the vaccine would work in a goat, but um, mm. I do know some people who've done that. Um, but my feeling was that since there's not even a vaccine that is sold for goats specifically, that nobody could really hold her accountable for not, you know, vaccinating them for rabies. So in the, the rabies part of it, she'd be okay. The bite, well, you know, that uh -huh. might not be so, there could still be bite issues, but I didn't think that the rabies part could, could be a problem. What do you think? Yeah, great question. And, and I didn't, I found it really interesting to hear about this scenario that one year. Um, what is it? Goat 360 members post? Yeah, Goats 365 is our goat membership program. Okay, awesome. Very cool. Um, well, I love where this person is thinking, like trying to cover as many risk areas as possible. You know, oh gosh, if someone gets bitten by my goat, like I better make sure they don't have rabies. So I'm going to go ahead and get this vaccine, even though it's not, it's off label. It's not specifically for, you know, my species of animals for a dog, not a goat. And so I think your thinking is also very good. You know, it's not for a goat and therefore there's not a precedent that people are vaccinating their goats for rabies. There's no research behind it. And so there wouldn't be any legal precedent necessarily to um, sue or seek damages for getting rabies from a goat. But I do want to hone in on what you said about, you know, the bite is a little bit more squishy. And so the bite, definitely you want to make sure you have um, proper insurance coverage for, for injuries like a goat bite. But in terms of the rabies, what would happen in court is the there would be a test for negligence regarding, based on how this scenario is framed, whether or not um, the goat was vaccinated. And so the test for whether a farmer was negligent is whether or not they acted um, reasonably or or as reasonably as the same farmer would in similar circumstances. So what 
it's essentially asking what would every other farmer do in this situation? And so if every other farmer is not vaccinating their goats for rabies, then there's no precedent for that that needing to happen. Um, but if every farmer is using this off-label dog vaccination for goats um, to, for rabies vaccination, th- there could be an argument there. So it does kind of depend. I would say if um, if it was my goat and I had learned, you know, there's a vaccine that people are using, and I'm a little bit you know, worried about rabies and someone getting rabies from a bite, I might think about getting that vaccine. But at the same time, with my understanding of how the law works, I would assess the risk and say, hmm, there's not actually a precedent there where, you know, farmers are vaccinating with a goat vaccine for rabies. And so I don't know that um, maybe the, the cost was really high, I'd consider that. And it's like, well, you know, the risk to me seems kind of low, so I'm not going to take that cost on. Or if you're super hyper vigilant and you want to make sure people, for public health and safety reasons, there, there's like a zero or close to zero percent chance of not getting rabies and you want to pursue that vaccination, I think whatever people can do to be safe is a good thing to do. That's another good point, too. I think so. There's two kinds, two kinds of rabies in terms of the way that an animal acts. Um, there's an aggressive form and then there's a very mellow lethargic form and goats usually get the very lethargic form um but if goats do become aggressive what they usually do is headbutt people um not bite them and in fact if you've been hearing us talk about goat bites and you're new to goats you may think what are you talking about i have never had a goat bite me um, be, I know because I thought that many years ago when an insurance agent said to me about like this insurance will cover in case your goats bite anybody. I was like, goats don't bite people. Um, and I, I think I'd owned them at that point, you know, every bit of like two or three months or something. Um, and the funny thing about this is that I did wind up losing a lot of sleep. I think we'd probably had goats for five or six years and, um, a local elementary school called us and said that, they were celebrating like farm week or something like that. And they were looking for farmers to come in and they asked if we could bring in a couple of goats. Well, I happen to have a couple of bottle babies. And if you've listened to me very long, you know, I don't like bottle babies. I am not a big fan of them. And this is one reason why. Um, so I thought, oh, because bottle babies are like super friendly. They're beyond friendly. They don't know their goat. They're like all over people. And so what happens when you have two baby goats and like 20 fifth graders. Um, you can't you see where every single fifth grader has their hands. And um, all of a sudden, I hear one of the kids go, ah, it bit me. And the teacher was super chill. He was just like, well, you shouldn't have stuck your finger in his mouth. <laughs> um, and all I could think was, oh, I hope his parents are that mellow about it. Um, And I really did lose sleep for about a week on this because, and this is the thing with bottle babies, they will grab your finger and start to suck on it. And if they, if it winds up in the back of their mouth between their molars, you could get bitten. And that is exactly what happened that these, these children thought it was just the coolest thing that the goats wanted to suck on their fingers. Um, So, um, you know, so goats can bite people. I mean, just weird things can happen, you know, all the time. So that's my goat bite story. And and one of the the reasons I don't like bottle babies, um, because the babies that are raised by mom are not usually looking at people and going, where's the milk spigot? How do I get the milk out? And sucking on your fingers and your chin and your hair and, you know, everything. 
So moving on to our next topic, um, I think is really important because if people want to have a business, I think we've covered the agritourism aspect pretty well, you know, just bringing people onto your farm for various reasons to see your goats, visit with your goats, whatever. The other thing is we're going to get into product liability. Um, if you're selling something, you know, if you're selling goat milk, cheese, yogurt, meat, um, even goat milk soap, um, what are the things that people need to think about in terms of product liability before they start selling products? Yeah, great question. And by now, I bet your um, listeners will anticipate me saying insurance. <laughs> <laughs> Always the first line of defense, and, and we do talk so much about insurance at Farm Commons, and I promise you we are in no way connected with any kind of insurance company. We just understand how the law works, and in our system, our very litigious system in society, insurance is the way to protect yourself. We're, we're very retroactive. We wait until something bad happens, and then you know we go and argue about it, and then we pay up. Um, that's how we deal with it here in the United States. Um, but for product liability, um, there is product liability insurance. And when we're, when we're talking about product liability, it's, it's the, the chances and, and covering the chances or the risks of your products making someone sick. Um, so if you um, sell goat meat or goat milk or goat cheese, um, you'll want to consider having product liability coverage for those products, whether they're purchased on the farm or if you're selling them wholesale to a grocer or selling them at the farmer's market. And depending on how you're getting these products to your customers, you will want to let your insurance agent know that so they can underwrite you properly and make sure you have the right coverage. Because, um, so say for instance, you're selling um, direct from the source. So maybe you're able to sell your cheeses on your farm. You have a nice farm stand, um, refrigerated cooling space. Um, your insurance agent is going to want to come and like check out what your cooler situation's like, making sure that your everything is, the numbers are where they need to be. Um, the, you know, you have the right number of outlets, all the tiny, like gritty, annoying, pesky details that make sure that if something does go wrong, that you're actually covered because you have all that in order. And so let's say a cooler goes out and for a few, I don't know, maybe like an hour or two and you're worried about your cheese and it looks good, but you sell it anyway. Um, product liability coverage will look a bit different than if you're selling wholesale to a grocer. And then you're going to want to ask your insurance agent about, um, recall and reset coverage within that product liability package. Um, and so what I mean by recall and reset, you're going to want to be, um, be able to recall your product from shelves and figure out, you know, oh gosh, someone got sick buying cheese from the co-op grocery store. You know, we need to find out, you know, what's the lot number on that cheese? What date was it made? Can we identify what lot it's from? And then recall that specific lot, get it off the shelves. If it's at other stores, it'll make it so much easier to recall um, all that product and then also to reset your facility back on the farm. So cleaning your, your dairy equipment, sterilizing it and all of that takes time and money. And so if you're, you're, if you're a staffed operation, that's, that's like payroll hours. And so if you aren't anticipating having money to cover all that on, on hand, you should definitely consider getting product liability insurance that will provide coverage for all those costs of recall and reset. Um, and so, 
yep, if you're you're selling on the farm, your your product liability will look a bit different than if you're selling to um, a wholesaler or off the farm. You you could also look into commercial um, a commercial policy commercial coverage um, since you'll be selling off the farm. But um, if you go to our website, uh, farmcommons.org, at the very top of our page, we have um, menu items for each of our different legal subject areas. And if you click on insurance, we have lots of great tutorials and print resources that are available to you for free. You just got to create an account. It functions as a library card and you can download guides on, um, you know, maximizing insurance for, for, value-added products and diversification, um, and we touch on recall and reset and all of that. That's really fascinating. I know I have heard way too many farmers say, oh, I've got farm insurance, I'm covered, assuming that, like, you know, anything that happens related to their farm, they're going to be covered. And um, one of the things I had not even thought of, and I felt like, I feel like we've been, we were really good, you know, with our um, insurance because we um, asked for a recommendation from another farm who did everything we did in terms of, you know, like the agritourism and selling food and stuff like that. And then I was completely 100% honest with him about everything that we do to make sure everything is covered. Um, but you know what, we never talked about the product recall, um, or anything like that, that you, that you just talked about. So I kind of feel like maybe I should give my insurance agent a call. (laughs) now. <laughs> oh, there you go. Um, it, there's just so many little tiny nuances, you know? I mean, if we had a recall on our eggs, because we sell eggs through a grocery store, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be the end of the world um, because it's just us. We don't have a staff that would have to be working overtime or anything. But there's just so many little things where I feel like people, like you really have to, you know, you may feel like you're beating a dead horse as you like explain this to your agent. I know I felt like it. I was like, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? You know, and, and whenever we have an event, you know, I give him a call and say, Hey, we're having an event. Can you add that to our policy so that to make sure that we're covered during the event? So it's just, it's really good to have somebody, you know, with your background, um, providing the same kind of information and helping people understand the importance of really making sure that, you've got the kind of coverage you need from your insurance company. I think that's pretty much what all this boils down to, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I I do just want to call out that this can seem very overwhelming. Like, you know, as you're listening, maybe you're in the field or you're out in the car doing deliveries or, or you're in the office, you know, updating all the accounting and the books and that kind of stuff. And like, oh gosh, I got to call my insurance agent about this. And then, oh gosh, now I got to call about that. That's going to be a long, really long call. And you know, the farm's needs will look different during different seasons and at different points of time. And so what we advocate at Farm Commons is to, you know, just take one step at a time um, and make a list, you know, set priorities um, in our in our workshops, which we're, we're getting ready to offer this fall and winter online. We help farmers prioritize their, their um, farm law action plans specific to their farm's needs. And so what we've shared today really are best practices in general with zoning and insurance for, for injuries, um, product liability, and, and, you know, some of the negligence stuff. Um, but not all of that is going to be relevant to every farmer. Every farmer will have different needs. And so um, do not fret. Do try not to get overwhelmed, but do, do prioritize. Like, you know, just as you were saying, Deborah, like, 
oh, we, you know, we do sell stuff to different stores. So maybe we should call our insurance agent about recall and reset. And that's one thing to put on your list. And maybe later on, you maybe acquire some more land and you want to look into the zone that then about, you know, whether you can even have goats on that land. Um, that's another thing you would add to your list. And so, you know, little bits at a time. <laughs> I want to give another shout out to the website at Farm Commons and just say how wonderful it is. One of the things we did not touch on here at all is um, employees and interns and things like that, and um, which is definitely a topic for another day because that's actually how I got to know you guys, you know, was, was listening to a talk on that. And um, there's a lot of information. I know I've also downloaded a lot of information from your website about interns and employees and things like that to make sure that we're doing everything that we need to do because there's, there is a lot and, um, and it's a great thing to do. Like, you know, in the middle of January when it's, everything's cold and frozen outside. Absolutely. The, the winter to-do list, the paperwork chores. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So thank you very much for joining us today. I know this has been um, a lot of good reminders here for me, and I hope that it's given um, our listeners a lot of good information so that they can make smarter decisions with their goats if they want to, you know, show their goats to the world or start making goat products. So thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thanks, Deborah, for having me. And that's it for today's show. I hope you'll join me next time when I'm going to be interviewing one of the founders of the San Clemente Island Goat Association. That is a breed of goat that is so rare it is actually in danger of extinction. If you haven't already done so, be sure to hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss an episode. And remember, you can always find show notes at fortheloveofgoats.com. And check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash lovegoatspodcast. Bye for now.